You are listening to episode number 40 of Wife, Teacher, Mommy, the podcast, how to encourage positive behavior with Joanne Crone from No Get Mom. Do you have a hard time getting your students to behave in class or your own children to do their chores? Keep listening to learn what to do and what not to do. you're here listening to Wife, Teacher, Mommy, the podcast today. I'm your host, Kelsey Sorensen, a former elementary teacher turned homeschool mom. Whether you are a teacher or a homeschool parent, my goal at Wife, Teacher, Mommy is to provide you with both teaching ideas and mindset tools to help you live your absolute best teacher life. Be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Now let's go. Hey friend, I'm so happy you joined me today. If this is your first time listening, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And if you've been here before, thank you for listening again. It means so much to me when you take the time to listen to these episodes because I pour my heart and soul into them. I love this podcast. It is my passion project. So I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for being here. I wouldn't be able to do this if I didn't have listeners listening. So thank you. And today we are talking all about encouraging positive behavior. And this has been a big topic lately. We recently had an episode where we shared all about the gaps in education. I had a two-episode segment. They were episodes number 31 and 33. In 31, we talked about the achievement gaps in education. But in episode 33, we talked about the social-emotional gaps in education. And those, we had even more responses. We had so many teachers, and I shared their experiences in their own voices. Be sure to listen to that episode if you haven't yet. But today we're talking all about kind of what to do about it. How do we encourage positive behavior, even if we are seeing these gaps, no matter where our kids, our own kids, or our students are at, how do we encourage them to have positive behavior in a positive way? We had a great conversation and even some fun tangents and asides that I think you'll enjoy and find helpful. And before we begin, let me introduce our guest. So Joanne Crone is a master's in education. She is a parenting educator who helps moms feel confident in everything, from raising empowering, self-sufficient kids to dropping the anxiety and guilt out of modern parenthood. She's an accomplished writer, author, podcast host of the No Guilt Mom podcast, and speaker, appearing in national media and founder of the company No Guilt Mom. Her specialty is talking to both parents and kids with her parenting course, Calm and Happy Parenting, and her self-paced digital courses for kids in handling big emotions, getting kids to help out more, creating a morning routine, and conquering the homework drama. Joanne is a former elementary school teacher with a master's degree in curriculum and instruction, as well as a national board certified teacher in middle childhood education. She is a mom of two kids, ages 13 and nine. So Joanne, as you can see from her bio, her professional bio, she is a wealth of knowledge in both education in the classroom and in parenting children. So I'm super excited to be connected with Joanne. We've known each other for a little while. We connected in some Facebook groups. And recently, she asked me to be a speaker at a free summit she's putting on. And I'm so excited and honored that she invited me. 
It is called the Be Resilient Summit, and the purpose of the summit is to give families the tools to be kind, manage stress, and persevere through challenges. So if you're a teacher mom or dad with kids of your own, be sure to check it out. I have a session all about the five pillars of social-emotional learning and activities and read alouds to use at home. So I will link to the summit in the show notes. It is free, remember. So be sure to check that out. And let's get started with the interview. Hey, Joanne, I'm so happy you're here on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you, and I'm really excited for the reason you're here, too, your Be Resilient Summit. I'm super excited to hear more about that, but also about how teachers and especially parents, I know this is more geared towards parents, how we can help with behavior problems and with learning and handling their emotions. So I'm, I'm really excited. First off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. So I am Joanne Crone. I'm the founder of No Guilt Mom. But before I founded No Guilt Mom, I was a teacher, an elementary school teacher. I taught fifth grade and I absolutely loved it. And I would have probably still been a teacher today if not for my son, my second, like he's my second born. He was born in July and I was like, I'm going to take a year off because this fourth grade class coming up is crazy. (laughs) <laughs> and they they cannot start with a sub and then they cannot have me come in and like October sleep deprived from a newborn. Like that would not be the best option for these kids. So I, I took a year off. And during that year, that's when I started what is now No Guilt Mom. And we help parents just crush parenting by improving communication between family members and recognizing emotions and kids' emotions and validating those and also taking all that shame and guilt off of mom's shoulders. Oh my goodness. I feel like so many of us feel like shame and guilt and and we feel bad, especially for the teachers who are also moms. Like you feel guilty that like, oh, you like, you know, I'm giving so much to my students. What about my kids at home? You know, and just finding that right balance. It can be so challenging. So what do you think is causing so many more behavior problems at home for parents? I mean, I think it's funny because our society like expects so much of parents, moms in particular, And we were probably raised like most of us in the early 90s or late 80s where it was our parents way or the highway. Like we were supposed to listen to our parents. We were supposed to follow their directions. And we weren't really given much input, nor were we listened to very much what our concerns were. Like it was like our kids' concerns are kind of secondary. Like my dad used to joke around, and I remember this really clearly. He said that children should be seen and not heard. And he was just doing that when I was like mouthing off or something. But it really was kind of what parents thought of as kids like in their 80s and 90s. Well, fast forward to today and we're realizing that not listening to kids, not really validating emotions leads to a whole line of other issues, including stuff that pops up especially for women. Like, I don't know if you struggle with imposter syndrome. I I struggle big with imposter syndrome with uh, delegating work within the home between like genders struggle with that. And there's all these things that we're seeing now our generation as adults. We're like, okay, what can we do for our kids? Like, how can we help our kids in this? And so when we see like more behavior problems in the home, we really want to think about, okay, well, why is this behavior happening Because the way we were raised, it was like, okay, well, mom or dad is going to like ground us or give us a specific punishment. We're not seeing that work anymore. And what we really need to do is figure out, okay, what is the issue here? What is holding our kids up? What is the conflict? 
and how do they view the situation? And then once we know those things, we can work on solving those issues instead of just looking at it as a challenging behavior overall. Yes, I think that's such a good point because I feel like our generation of parents, we are seeing like, okay, we need to listen to our kids. But then it's like, we maybe weren't given the example of how to do that while also balancing like, you know, okay, how do we listen to them, but also have some sort of balance in our home where like, you know, we do have rules that need to be followed and everything. And same with teachers in the classroom. And I know that some are like, oh, these kids are different, you know, and it's because of this shift, which you've mentioned. So I find that so fascinating. What about teachers in the classroom who are also seeing this? Kind of like I mentioned, they're like, oh, these kids are different than they were 20 years ago. Well, yeah, you mentioned that these kids are different. And it's all about like how we really want kids to interact with each other and how we want them to learn. Like so much of teaching in the classroom now is focused on problem solving because back like when we were growing up, like we didn't have the internet. I mean, it was just coming out rather, and Mm -hmm. it wasn't used to the extent that it is right now. Like, I mean, I remember I had Prodigy with like the dial up and then we had AOL and like all those great things, but it wasn't like the whole world in our hands. Like we could look up any question at any time. So the fact like regurgitation that we did when we were kids, like it's just not needed now. Now we focus on problem solving and creativity And when we look at problem solving and creativity, it's not so much that we're raising like factory workers like it it was even before our generation, but we're really raising creative problem solvers. And with creative problem solvers, they do not listen to authority. We don't want them to just listen to authority mindlessly. We really want them to interact and we want them to reason. And so when we see that kids are different today, we're seeing that. And we're also seeing probably that a difference in attention spans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was just like talking with my daughter yesterday and she's 13. She's a freshman in high school. And she's like, mom, can I show you this video? And it was to the cell block. Uh, I can't remember the song, but it's a song from Chicago. The musical Chicago. Mm -hmm. And she's really into dance. And I'm like, yeah, like you should sit down and watch Chicago with me someday. She's like, mom, I don't know. A whole movie. I get bored during whole movies. (laughs) I'm like, are you kidding me? Like a whole movie. She's like, I can't sit still for three hours. And I'm like, but you can. You like go short after short after short on YouTube. So true. Or like episodes of TV is if that's different. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, oh, but a whole movie, mom. (laughs) But I think it's like true for everybody. Like all of our attention is shifted, right? Like it really has for me. Like I mentioned the whole episode on TV. Like, I don't know if I have time for a movie before bed, but I have time for a TV show. And then we'll watch three episodes or that's as long as the movie would have been, you know? Yeah. It's like the terms of commitment. Like I cannot commit to you being focused for an hour and a half on the same storyline, but give me just a little (laughs) taster. And then I may like decide to re-up every 30 minutes and it'll be fine. (laughs) So funny. What have you heard that teachers are saying? Like, how are kids different? Because I've been out of the classroom now for, I mean, my son is nine. Yeah. So, I mean, and we talked about this a lot. We did a two-episode segment about the gaps in education. So we talked about the learning gaps. Then we talked about the social-emotional gaps. And we had actual clips from teachers talking about what it's like. So if you are listening and you haven't listened to those, go check those out. But a lot of what was said is that, one, the kids academically are behind, but even more so are the social skills, especially where with COVID students were out of school for a while and maybe they were like out and back in and online and wearing masks. And it's impacted 
some of their social skills. So that is a lot of what's being seen right now. And I think a lot of the problems with social emotional skills that we've been seeing are leading to behavior issues in the classroom. So like we're seeing more students like talking out of turn. I mean, my daughter is really struggling with that herself. And a lot of students just not even knowing appropriate classroom behaviors. But I know, and this is something you mentioned. And so I want to ask you, how do you think chore charts for parents with kids at home or clip charts for teachers at school, how do those hurt kids' behavior in the long run? So for like chore charts and stuff, I'm like all for writing down the chores and making sure like people do them in the house. But reward charts and rewarding for doing it is something completely different. For instance, in my classroom, (laughs) I used to have a clip down chart for behavior. Like, and you've Mm -hmm. probably seen these. And you're Mm -hmm. like, yeah, the clip down chart. (laughs) Where like you got the green, you got the yellow, or you got the red, and the red meant a call down. And, you know, I (laughs) even like for a semester or something, every time a kid talked out of turn, I'm like, okay, well, you have to go clip down. And we rationalize this as being, okay, they're getting feedback on their behavior and they're quote unquote taking responsibility over their behavior. And they are able to move up versus like the pulling cards or whatever we were doing before that. Yeah. Like they're able to move up, but did they? Did they ever move up? No. Like the system didn't help the kids who were really struggling. And usually those kids were struggling with things like sensory issues and social emotional learning or learning to like speak when it's their turn or learning to read the cues in the room for when it's an appropriate time to ask the question. Like all of these skills that could be broken down and taught, but we don't necessarily know it at the time, nor did we have time in the classroom to teach it. Mm -hmm. So when I was a fifth grade teacher, I remember we used to be like just praising the kindergarten teachers at the beginning of the year because they were the ones who were getting all of the kids acclimated to school. They took these new kindergartners who had never been in the classroom before and all throughout the year, they were teaching kindergartners how to like raise their hands to ask a question or sit down for like an extended period of time. And they taught the skills very explicitly and in a logical manner. And now it's like after kids have been out of the classroom for that long, it's almost like they need to be retaught those skills. Mm -hmm. The things that kindergarten teachers were doing all along, like all teachers have to somehow pick up that skill set to teach those explicitly. When they're dealing with increased pressure from their administrators to get the test scores higher and all of these other things. So it's it's crazy. It's crazy the amount that's put on teachers in the classroom. Yeah, it really is. And there's just so much that goes into it too because there's the behavior problems. We're like, okay, we don't want to do clip charts or whatever. What do we want to do? You know, it's kind of like figuring that out. So do you have any suggestions for that? It's so hard because the ideal situation would be that... Teachers first don't have as many challenging behaviors to deal with per teacher, you know? So it's like putting 30 kids in a classroom and having one adult have to get to know all those 30 kids, get to know exactly what those 30 kids need. Like it's a recipe for just disaster and failure because it's impossible. The best thing like I would say is that and something that I wish I had done differently as a teacher is instead of going to those kids who are the most challenging behaviors, and I mean, as teachers, you know, you know, the kids that are your most challenging behaviors. They're the ones like you talk about at home every night. They're the ones whose names you remember for years. Instead of like always using the school discipline 
procedure. Ours was think time or going to an administrator. I would have tried to dig down a little bit more with those kids and ask them questions and like figured out exactly like what their struggles were and what their, as Dr. Ross Green calls it, their lagging skills were in the classroom. Like, could they not manage transitions well? Could they not read social cues for when they were supposed to ask a question? Like, what were those skills that they were missing? And then figure out a way to teach those skills or figure out a way to like get together with my grade level teachers and decide and collaborate on how to get those skills to our students instead of just relying on this punishment and consequence system that we did. Yeah. So like finding the root of the issue and addressing that is what can help. And it's not easy in any way. It's not easy. We have a program called Calm and Happy Parenting where we teach parents how to like drill down and find out what's underneath the iceberg. And that iceberg theory is like we see all these behaviors on the surface. We see like maybe the talking out of turn. We see the defying us. We see the yelling back. Those kind of behaviors are just the top of the iceberg. But underneath the iceberg are all of these other issues that if we don't figure out those, like we'll never see the top of the iceberg actually improve. And those issues are things like could be as simple as the kid's hungry or they're angry or lonely or tired, that HALT acronym. Or maybe it's self-esteem or maybe it's exhaustion or maybe there's like a sensory issue at play where it's bothering them more than like the typical child because their senses are just amplified and their brain feels like it's a danger. It's this idea of neuroception, which is in Dr. Mona Delahook's book, Beyond Behaviors, which I totally love and how everyone's brain perceives danger is different. Like they perceive dangers differently. So this could be seen a lot with kids who have a really strong reaction to fireworks. Their perception of that noise feels dangerous. Well, it doesn't feel dangerous to us. And it's just how their brains interpret danger. So figure out those things and working with the kids on coping mechanisms and skills to address those things at the bottom of the iceberg so that the behaviors that we see the yelling, the talking out of turn, that those will decrease over time. And they'll also form a better relationship with us as adults because we're getting to know them and we're actually helping them with whatever they're struggling with. And we're showing empathy and care instead of just handing down a consequence. Are you enjoying this episode of the podcast? If so, you will love the life coaching program inside Wife Teacher Mommy Club. You will get to join us in two to three live group coaching calls on Zoom every single month. We'll pick a new topic for a workshop for our first call every month and then have an open call or two where members can bring their own questions. Every call will be available for replay on the members only private podcast. So you can get more coaching via on the go podcast form just like this. Plus, you will have access to our Ask a Coach page where you can submit your own questions anytime for all your teacher struggles, big or small. The life coaching alone is worth the small $29.99 a month fee. I promise you won't find life coaching for this price anywhere else. Plus, you'll get access to our entire teaching resource library of over $4,000 worth of resources and growing every single month. Go to teachyourlifecoaching.com to learn more about the life coaching inside the club. I love that iceberg analogy. I feel like that's so helpful. And it can totally be applied to, you know, your own students in the classroom, but also your own children as a parent. And so many of us, we're teachers, we're also parents, or we have some homeschool moms who listen too. So let's talk a little bit about how this looks like in the home. So let's take chores, for example. So what do you do 
if your kids do chores not up to your standards, like leaving food on the dishes or dusting not well enough? So chores are like such a hot button issue in the home because a lot of times when we talk about like our standards, we have pretty high standards. I mean, food on the dishes, that is a given, total given. But sometimes like my kids will pick up the living room and they'll like leave a book here and there and they'll be like, what? I was just leaving it there. That was their perception of it. But my perception of it was like all their personal belongings are in their room. And so in terms of chores, it is always a family conversation. Everything is a conversation. And I suggest to do it through family meetings. So every week, getting the family together and talking about those issues that are happening in the home. So if something's happening with chores over and over and over again, that is a great issue to talk about at the family meeting. Just being like, hey, I notice when the dishes are being washed, there's a lot of food on them. What's up? And starting with that really general question, not attaching any like shame to it and leaving it open for the kids to respond is a great way to start any conversation. And they might be like, I don't know, or yeah, there is. And that's where we can further drill down to really figure out what they think about this situation, what they think about the food on the dish. Because maybe we'll ask them, oh, well, I see like the cups are clean, but the plates aren't. Like, what's the difference there? And they might point out something like, oh, like, well, the plates... I have this big brush, but the cups, I just can't get it off with like this other brush I have. Or maybe it's something like the food is just too dried on on the plates to get it off. And I have to scrub really, really, really hard. And so when we find an answer like that, it's actually awesome because we're like, oh, the food's scrubbed hard. Well, that means that people aren't rinsing off their dishes and we could help as a family make sure our dishes are rinsed off and that'll help you actually clean the dishes better. So when we ask kids those questions and we get down to like, what is the root cause of it? We actually help solve it versus just giving a consequence and being like, oh, well, you have to keep scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing until you get it off. It becomes a collaborative thing versus a kids in it all by themselves thing, Mm -hmm. which I think that's how I felt when I was a kid. I felt like I was in it all by myself and I had to figure it out. Yeah. And that's, that's a struggle when you feel like you're in it all on your own. It's kind of like you mentioned the relationship matters more than getting things done. What does that mean? So a lot of times we are just, I mean, we're so overwhelmed. We have so many things on our plate and all we want to do is just get it done. Like, and I get into that mode too. I go through, I see like a mental checklist in my mind of everything that we have to do in the home. And so I start barking off orders. I'm like, okay, we need to do this, 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 and this, and this. And you can hear the stress in my voice. And that is usually when my kids start pushing back really hard. And I think a a lot of us have had that experience of just kids pushing back really, really hard. It's hard for me at this stage in my life to step back with my teenage daughter. And I think that when our kids go through stages, like we'll constantly be up against another conflict over and over. And keeping the relationship strong looks so differently when you're dealing with teenagers versus when you're dealing with elementary schoolers. Like I was a fifth grade teacher Mm -hmm. and kids then like they want to help adults. Part of them like wants to be seen as helpful, like mostly. Teenagers are like, no way. Like you cannot tell me what to do. I will do my own thing. And it's like this shift in behavior. So I just wanted to like say to any parents out there with teenagers who are like struggling, the struggle is real. 
And keeping the relationship strong is more about boundaries with teenagers than trying to ask them more questions about why things aren't being done the way they should. Like, how old are your kids? Mine, they are eight, six, and three. Eight, six, and three. Well, almost three. Those are good ages. Yeah, they are. They're they're sweet. Love those kiddos of mine. We're not to the teenage stage yet, though. So I'm just like, you know, preparing for that. <laughs> it's like, it's not bad. There's many, many goods with it. It's just like, it changes your relationship with your child. Because mm-hmm. before where I could have easily pulled out a when then with my daughter, I'll be like, okay, well, when the dishes are done, then we can go here. I pull out when thens with my teenager and she's like, fine, I just won't do it. And then she goes and slams her room, <laughs> door to her room. And I'm like, great, great. This works great. Sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> At this stage, like, is when the relationship matters even more with teens. And we're digging a lot now into, I feel like my relationship is like transforming with my daughter, where we're getting more into adult to adult versus adult mm-hmm. to child, even though she's very much a child. It's just a transition to adult to adult. And so I'm sharing more with, hey, like I drove you around and really made your day happen yesterday. And now I am feeling used where I ask you to do something and you don't do it. And then she's like, and then goes to her room and slams the door again. (laughs) And then like a few hours later, she'll come out and talk to me like reasonably. But it is constantly apologizing. It is constantly checking myself on my behavior and explaining to her the reasons behind my behavior versus me being totally in charge all the time with a teenager. We went a little off track, but I just want to throw it out to all those parents of teenagers out there. Like it is a transition period right now and it's going to get messy. Oh, for sure. That's what I hear. (laughs) I was like crying in my room the other day. I'm like, I am so like to my husband, I am so mad right now. I feel so disrespected. And he's like, yes, 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 yes. And as parents, it's totally normal to have those feelings and to get those emotions out and to vent to your partners and to vent to your friends because this is a trying time. For sure. So now what are some things that we can do, whether it's as a parent or as a teacher, to encourage positive behavior in a meaningful way? So it's always about leading by your own example. And it's such a sticky thing. But like kids watch you more than they listen to you. Mm-hmm. They watch what you do. They watch how you handle situations versus you giving them ideas on how they should handle their own lives. And so, in some respects, like it's not to bring on any guilt or shame. It's really just to give you permission to focus on yourself. Like, focus on yourself and focus on like your own moods and your own mental state. Make sure you get your rest and make sure you're having fun. Because when you do those things and you show your kids like what adult life can be like versus focusing on them and trying to control how their life should be, it works out so much better and you're a happier person as well. So show them, show them how fun it could be and remind yourself that you have permission to spend time on yourself and is actually like the best thing you can do for your kids. I love that. And I was actually listening to a conference a few days ago. One of the things they said that really resonated with me was, And it was a little bit extreme. I will say that. But he was talking about a form of child neglect is by neglecting yourself. And oh, I know who that is. That's, um, oh, he was talking to Ed Milet. Ed Milet. Yes, it's Ed Milet. I loved him. He was so good. But the way he said it was, it was pretty extreme. But that's why it hit me so hard is that it was like, you know, you were neglecting your children by 
saying that, oh, you can do anything you want, but then yourself, you are holding yourself back or whatever. So yeah. When I first heard it, like there was a twist in my gut there because I'm yeah. like, okay, here you are a guy saying this to women. Right. I, mean, I don't <laughs> think you know the whole scope of things here. Yeah. But it did make me think. I'm like, yeah, I do want to show, especially like, you know, where you talked about like things can be a bit different for boys and girls. So I want to show my daughter that she can, you know, do whatever she can do. So, I mean, that was a little bit of a tangent off what you said, but. No, it's, but it's totally, it's totally right because. I mean, I didn't want to have kids when we got married because I saw my parents always stayed home. They didn't have much of a social life outside of their kids. And I'm like, that's not what I want my life to be like. And so my husband was the one who really wanted kids. And I saw the potential, like what it could be when we went to go visit some family friends and saw them have great fulfilling lives outside of parenthood. So like it is a real, it is real when parents give up their entire lives for their kids and kids see it and it makes a mark on them. So what we do when we, we give up all of our fun activities to make sure like our kids get all the extracurriculars or we give up our sleep or we give up the things we love just because it'll be a quote unquote inconvenience for our family. Kids see that. And so it's so hard because we also like, I don't know about you, but I find myself falling into those traps that mm. I saw modeled for me because that's immediately where your brain goes. You go back to what you know when things get hard and I constantly have to push against it and figure out how to do the things I want or even figure out what I even want because that seems to get a little weird in terms of like when you have everybody asking you questions to do things all the time like all your kids. And it's hard to place yourself as a priority as well. Yes. And I think this kind of leads perfectly into your Be Resilient Summit. Like, why did you create it? Who is it for? Tell us about it. So the Be Resilient Summit, I'm super excited about. It is all about tools to deal with stress and to talk about emotions and also how to persevere in those moments where you come up with a challenge. I struggle with anxiety. I didn't get diagnosed with anxiety, though, until after the birth of my daughter. And then once I started reading like strategies that help, attending therapy, like there's all those tools out there that I wish I would have known earlier. And the Be Resilient Summit is all about that. We brought together 26 experts who are talking directly to kids, you included. I'm so excited to be part of it. So fun. And talking directly to kids and parents together about these strategies that you can use like when you're upset, like we have uh, Debbie Chamberlain talking about breathing. We have uh, Jill Krause who like is an OG blogger. She was baby rabies if you remember that blog. Like, oh my gosh, she was like an idol to me when I first started in this space. But she is talking about the power of affirmations and what like you say to yourself really matters and really affects your mindset to like... Ned Johnson with test anxiety and how to conquer test anxiety for high schoolers to uh, tapping with Damiana and Dor. And like, there's so many great things in this summit that families can learn about and do right away that gives them the tools to like manage those stressful situations, but also to know that they are not alone in their feelings and they are not alone when they think they're being hard on themselves, that so many people fall into that. So I'm super excited about the summit and I'm so excited that you're in it as well. And it's just going to be a phenomenal event. I'm really excited to be part of it. And as soon as I heard about it, I was like, oh, this is going to be so fun because usually I'm talking 
just to the grownups. But, you know, as a former teacher, I love being able to talk to the kids, too. So we were able to kind of do these videos that are for like the entire family. So whether you watch it on your own or with your children or or even if you show some of the videos like to your class or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such an incredible event. I'm really excited for it. And it's free. Absolutely free. We're going to link to it in the show notes so you all can go grab your free ticket. Although I highly recommend the VIP pass. Oh, yes. Because we have so much fantastic stuff in there and you have a bonus. Yes, we do. And it's just, it's it's going to be a really great time. And our VIPs are treated like rock stars during the summit. Like we have special family hour sessions for them and workshops and they get all their questions answered before everyone else. Oh, that'll be so awesome. I cannot wait to see people in it. I cannot wait to start the event. I think it's going to be phenomenal. I can't wait. Okay, so where can our listeners connect with you as well? Like before, after the event, they might be listening to this after. So so a great place to connect with me is we have a podcast, the No Guilt Mom podcast, which I host with my best friend, Brie Tucker. And we're every Tuesday. And we also are on Instagram, No Guilt Mom. And you can visit me at noguiltmom.com. Awesome. Well, we will put all those links in the show notes and everybody grab your free ticket and then upgrade to VIP if you want. It would be an awesome thing to do. Our 36 weeks of social emotional learning is a bonus if you do that, which that alone is worth at least 30 bucks. So yeah, definitely check that out. Joanne, thank you so much for coming and being here and taking some time out of your day to share these awesome tips with all of us. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed today's interview, be sure to stay tuned for more incredible episodes of the podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And be sure to go to the show notes and check out the Be Resilient Summit. I'll talk to you next week. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you're ready to take the next step with me, then you are going to love Wife Teacher Mommy Club. Our top-selling resources for pre-K through sixth grades have been used and loved by tens of thousands of teachers. And the club gives you one-click access to all of them to meet the needs of every child you teach while saving tons of time. Plus, you'll have our certified life coach in your back pocket with several monthly workshops and an Ask a Coach portal you can use 24-7. The combo of resources and coaching is our secret sauce to your best teacher life. Think of my team and I as your personal team doing the lesson planning for you and on the sidelines coaching you and cheering you on as you focus on what you do best, impacting the children you teach. Plus, if you're loving this podcast, you'll also have access to our private podcast just for members, where I continue the conversation with all of our guests with members-only bonus episodes. And don't forget the club VIP access to Educate and Rejuvenate, our summer conference, and our private Facebook community full of like-minded educators supporting each other. You do so much for everyone else, so it's time to invest in yourself. Your teacher friends' jaws will drop when they see just how quickly you finish your planning. Not to mention the glow of the happier, more fulfilled you. Head on over to wifeteachermommyclub.com to learn more.